This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Today's reading by Kara Schallenberg. www.kray.org. A Journey to the Interior of the Earth by Jules Verne. Chapter 45. All's well that ends well. Such is the conclusion of a history which I cannot expect everybody to believe, for some people will believe nothing against the testimony of their own experience. However, I am indifferent to their incredulity, and they may believe as much or as little as they please. The Stromboliotes received us kindly as shipwrecked mariners. They gave us food and clothing. After waiting forty-eight hours, on the thirty-first of August a small craft took us to Messina, where a few days' rest completely removed the effect of our fatigues. On Friday, September the fourth, we embarked on the steamer Volturno, employed by the French Messageries Imperialis, and in three days more we were at Marseilles, having no care on our minds except that abominable deceitful compass, which we had mislaid somewhere, and could not now examine. But its inexplicable behaviour exercised my mind fearfully. On the ninth of September, in the evening, we arrived at Hamburg. I cannot describe to you the astonishment of Martha, or the joy of Gräuben. "'Now you are a hero, Axel,' said to me my blushing fiancé, my betrothed. "'You will not leave me again.' I looked tenderly upon her, and she smiled through her tears. How can I describe the extraordinary sensation produced by the return of Professor Liedenbrock? Thanks to Martha's ineradicable tattling, the news that the Professor had gone to discover a way to the centre of the earth had spread over the whole civilised world. People refused to believe it, and when they saw him they would not believe him any the more. Still, the appearance of Hans, and sundry pieces of intelligence derived from Iceland, tended to shake the confidence of the unbelievers. Then my uncle became a great man, and I was now the nephew of a great man, which is not a privilege to be despised. Hamburg gave a grand fete in our honour. A public audience was given to the professor at the Johanneum, at which he told all about our expedition— with only one omission, the unexplained and inexplicable behaviour of our compass. On the same day, with much state, he deposited in the archives of the city the now famous document of Saknesem, and expressed his regret that circumstances over which he had no control had prevented him from following to the very centre of the earth the track of the learned Icelander. He was modest, notwithstanding his glory, and he was all the more famous for his humility. So much honour could not but excite envy. There were those who envied him his fame, and as his theories, resting upon known facts, were in opposition to the systems of science upon the question of the central fire, he sustained with his pen and by his voice remarkable discussions with the learned of every country. 
For my part, I cannot agree with his theory of gradual cooling. In spite of what I have seen and felt, I believe, and always shall believe, in the central heat. But I admit that certain circumstances not yet sufficiently understood may tend to modify in places the action of natural phenomena. While these questions were being debated with great animation, my uncle met with a real sorrow. Our faithful Hans, in spite of our entreaties, had left Hamburg. The man to whom we owed all our success, and our lives too, would not suffer us to reward him as we could have wished. He was seized with the mal de pays, a complaint for which we have not even a name in English. Farval, said he one day, and with that simple word he left us, and sailed for Reykjavik, which he reached in safety. We were strongly attached to our brave Eiderdown hunter, though far away in the remotest north he will never be forgotten by those whose lives he protected, and certainly I shall not fail to endeavour to see him once more before I die. To conclude, I have to add that this journey into the interior of the earth created a wonderful sensation in the world. It was translated into all civilised languages. The leading newspapers extracted the most interesting passages, which were commented upon, picked to pieces, discussed, attacked, and defended with equal enthusiasm and determination, both by believers and sceptics. Rare privilege! My uncle enjoyed, during his lifetime, the glory he had deservedly won, and he may even boast the distinguished honour of an offer from Mr. Barnum, to exhibit him on most advantageous terms in all the principal cities in the United States. But there was one dead fly amidst all this glory and honour. One fact, one incident, of the journey remained a mystery. Now to a man eminent for his learning, an unexplained phenomenon is an unbearable hardship. Well, it was yet reserved for my uncle to be completely happy. One day, while arranging a collection of minerals in his cabinet, I noticed in a corner this unhappy compass, which we had long lost sight of. I opened it, and began to watch it. It had been in that corner for six months, little mindful of the trouble it was giving. Suddenly, to my intense astonishment, I noticed a strange fact, and I uttered a cry of surprise. "'What is the matter?' my uncle asked. "'That compass!' "'Well?' "'See, its poles are reversed.' "'Reversed?' "'Yes, they point the wrong way.' My uncle looked, he compared, and the house shook with his triumphant leap of exultation. A light broke in upon his spirit and mine. "'See there!' he cried, as soon as he was able to speak. After our arrival at Cape Saknasem, the north pole of the needle of this confounded compass began to point south instead of north. Evidently. Here, then, is the explanation of our mistake. But what phenomenon could have caused this reversal of the poles? The reason is evident, uncle. Tell me, then, Axel. During the electric storm on the Liedenbrock Sea, 
that ball of fire which magnetized all the iron on board reversed the poles of our magnet. Aha! Aha! shouted the professor with a loud laugh. So it was just an electric joke. From that day forth, the professor was the most glorious of savants, and I was the happiest of men. For my pretty Virlandaise, resigning her place as ward, took her position in the old house on the Königstrasse in the double capacity of niece to my uncle and wife to a certain happy youth. What is the need of adding that the illustrious Otto Liedenbrock, corresponding member of all the scientific, geographical, and mineralogical societies of all the civilized world, was now her uncle and mine? End of chapter 45 and the end of A Journey to the Interior of the Earth. Recorded on November 14th, 2005, in Oceanside, California.